Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me today is, I've been wanting to get this guy on the show for a while. His name is Jerry Saltz. He's an American art critic. Uh, since 2006, he's been the senior art critic and columnist for New York Magazine. Correct me whenever I'm wrong, Jerry. Formerly the senior art critic uh, for The Village Voice. He received the Pulitzer Prize for Criticism in 2018 and was nominated for the award in 2001 and 2006. He's also a recipient of three honorary doctorates. I love that. Kansas City <laughs> Art Institute. You know, I, I, I don't know about you, how you feel about uh, honorariums, but yeah, they're nice, but... I, I don't know. I never feel like I earned anything, but uh, I, I just asked for one this morning and they turned me down and <laughs> give the uh, the uh, commencement speech out in Berkeley in a few weeks. And I said, I'll do it for free for a free um, honorary, but, but they don't have it. I'll be I'll be damned. So we're going <laughs> to we're going to talk to Jerry right after this commercial break. So stick around. We'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Asked the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. And with us today is Jerry, uh, well, Jerry Saltz. I'm going to talk to you a little bit. Let's start with art. Uh, I don't know art. I know what I like. And then somebody will show you a picture of dogs playing poker. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there are those who feel like the art scene in the U.S. is at best stifled at worst. Uh, <laughs> some say it needs a diuretic. But mm -hmm. how, how say you? as an art critic uh, well i love being here thanks for asking me on i think the art world is doing effing great i think anybody that thinks it's stifled or a mess is not really paying attention i think that anybody that thinks it's uh, a mess isn't really focused on what's going on they're just being defensive and i think that when you look at art the best thing to do is calm down, get very quiet inside, and just at the worst, put away judgment and ask yourself, what would I like about this if I were the kind of person who liked it? And then take it from there. The bottom line is, Brian, art is changing more in the last, say, 23, 25 years than it has in 500 years. How can so? I go on? Can yeah. I go on for a yeah. minute about that? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Yes. How, how so? How's it changing more now well, than in the last 500 years? 
Well, in a way, so what you have is the deep content of right now. So this begins, say, in the year 2000 with the contested in the United States, the contested election of, of Bush v. Gore, followed almost immediately by something that no human being had ever seen before, which was the simultaneous annihilation of the two largest things then on Earth. Then comes the Bush-Cheney war machine and the mass insanity of that and one million dead. Then all of a sudden, it looks like the arc of history might be turning towards justice with Obama and his eight years. And then, of course, in 2015-16, the return of the long American night. This is followed this is followed by two pandemics. One, the one we all know. In March 2020, we have uh, a pandemic. It sends us all into small rooms. We're all creating out of things that are at hand, out of objects that are here, where the house, the studio, the office, the pharmacy, the bedroom, all of this is one room. And then comes another pandemic and that's in the same form that even as the angel of death walked among us george floyd was murdered in minneapolis and everybody that was not immunocompromised hit the streets again and this was followed by another contested election the point being that all of this creates an incredible a bracket of deep content, which all artists and all viewers feel. At the I, same time, I, I get your point, but to those who say it's been the divisiveness has destroyed art, what do you tell them? I tell them that art is the greatest operating system that our species has ever developed. I tell them that it is what we use to explore consciousness, the seen and the unseen world. I tell them that art will go away only when all the problems it was invented to address have been addressed completely. And so far, well, that art ever. <laughs> yeah, ever. <laughs> Yeah. And that means all of them. And so art isn't going to go away. So I think that all those other forms may be dying, but the deeper form of creation and creativity, that's as with us today as it's always been. Well, I don't think you could ever, I don't think that creativity can be stifled, nor do I believe that art will disappear nor do I believe some of the art forms that seem to disappear will disappear. I mean, writing is writing. And I don't know what AI will have to do with writing, but I still have my mind. I still mm -hmm. want to write what I want to write. Mm -hmm. and, and I until, you know, and that's expressing my feelings, projecting those out on the world, hoping to search for someone who will feel. I, I think that art is often that that reach out to the world. Does anyone feel the way that I do? Does anyone mm. understand things the way that I do? Please, it's a, it's a, it's almost a plea for understanding, is it not? It's beautiful what you're saying. I actually think that is true. On the other hand, I'm trying right now to work with a group of sort of scientists, thinkers, people on 
trying to program all of my writing, all of my ticks, every single thing I've ever done into a program that I can then add, say, 10 to 15 opinions, and that it then would spit out a new piece of writing. So I haven't lost hope on ChatGBT. I think that it will remap the world, in fact, as much as um, perspective has remapped the world. That is going to change our conception of everything. We're only seeing the earliest moments. And when you had this six-month call signed by number one on the list, of course, was Elon Musk, the reason he signed it is because he was six months behind (laughs) on his model. So... Don't listen to any of that. These are human problems. Humans will solve them. Um, we don't even know yet what it can do. Well, yeah, that's what do you think of the old Isaac Asimov uh, theory of uh, the three laws of robotics that, you know, that, that if you have an artificial intelligence, it should be governed by laws that do not allow harm to human beings. Uh, I love the idea. I doubt that you could ever enforce it. But it's a great idea. Let's just say yes. So that's how we'll do it. But the truth is, all of that is on the side. All of it is evolving simultaneously everywhere at once. And this is just one little uh, node of that part. Do you think that uh, at any point in time that um, since AI is created by humans and, and since humans are what humans are, AI, since humans can bring harm to humans, AI could bring harm to humans. Is there, or do you dispel yourself of that notion? No, I don't dispel myself of that at all. I I do think, no. So I do think that, yeah, we could. We could do great harm to ourselves, and that's the way it is. Yeah, but that's the same way with everything that man has ever invented. <laughs> is it not? <laughs> yes. So it, it isn't that different than, say, uh, inventing like a new kind of economics or a new kind of philosophy or a new kind of music. It, it, it will all take care of itself or it won't. Which brings me to politics. Speaking mm. <laughs> of things that won't. How do you, I mean, I read some of your tweets and I love them. And I also read some of your stuff. And I, by the way, I listened to your, uh, you were on uh, the podcast with uh, a buddy of mine, um, uh, Joe Walsh. Oh, uh, yeah. And so, uh, were you the guy? Were, were you no. the guy he was talking to me about? What did he say? <laughs> oh, there, there was a guy saying, <clears throat> like, how could you have salts on? He's a big uh, lib and he's full of it. No, no, that wouldn't be me. No, okay, thank God. No, 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 I'd be the guy on on going. I I, I like him that he's part of audience. <laughs> but you, but you have gotten that rap of being. What do you say to people? Say, look, you're just a liberal. You're a libtard. God damn it, you should go away. There's you. What you have? You're 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 being paid by George Soros, and uh, the next <laughs> thing you know is you're going to come out and and tell us that Donald Trump is a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to say. You're right on half of those because he is a criminal and the most, as we both know, the most corrupt person that's ever served. I would say that anybody that would say that is not a serious person. Honestly, 
I would say that I'm not going to listen to you. And by the same token, definitely don't listen to me. Here's my, and here's how I'll bring those two worlds together. When you take a look at the criticism in the art community, right? You're going to get, uh, you're going to get grief for your criticism based sometimes by people who do know what is going on, but a lot of times some people who don't really know what's going on. And when you get that in the, you get that also in the political world, I find there to be parallels that are annoying for one reason in, in the art world. If I say, Jerry, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. That piece of art was great. It is all subjective. But when Mm -hmm. I tell you, Jerry, you know what the hell you're talking about, about Donald Trump. He's great. That tells me that you're delusional and Mm -hmm. that, that there is, while there is a false equivalence given to criticism in, in those two worlds. And so how do you find that to be the case and how do you deal with it? I think that's really a great observation. I think that in my world, it is all subjective that I have to believe in paradox. In the real world, we only have real facts to go on. In my case with Trump, I have a very peculiar thing. I actually don't really pay any attention to him. It's every single thing that happens around him. I wonder what would happen, and I said this to Joe, if all of you, you have sources, Joe has sources, the Lincoln Project, everybody has their own sources that they get. If you all revealed all of their names of all of them saying, well, we know it's a big lie. We're just scared of our uh, voters and we, we have to go along to get along and we want a seat at the table. If everybody made a pact of mutual destruction, that is on June 1st, 2024, every single person would absolutely yield up all those names I think our troubles here would be over very soon. That's... But for but for some reason, it's not Trump. He's just doing what he does. Anybody in New York, as you know, would know what he's doing. He's just being a, kind of a bozo clown. But what's horrible is everybody's going along with it. And that's well, the problem. Yeah. And here's the, as I see it, you're, you're, plea for transparency i'll be transparent every republican i've spoken to i couldn't list all the names it's every single one of them i've ever talked to except with the exception of marjorie taylor green lauren mm-hmm. bobert and uh well even matt gates has called him a, a, an asshole uh, behind his face a couple of times mm-hmm. but for the rest of them ever including lindsey graham including jim jordan all of them have said he's full of shit off the record on the right. record, I, I mean, and I'll be as everyone I've talked to in their offices, them at, at some point in time, they've been critical of Trump. That's okay. not the, the question. The question is those who believe, who continue to believe. And the other problem is, and I don't know how you change that, but your plea for transparency, I'll say I would extend that further and go, I would love to see everyone who tweets, everyone who's on social media be held accountable for their thoughts and and what they say. Instead of being anonymous and hiding behind baskets and bushes and lobbing bombs and threatening people, if they had to be accountable for what they said, I think it would clean up a lot of the problems of of divisiveness in this country. People would have a little bit more decorum in what they said and be 
far more thought provoking in what they think when they say it rather than just going, you suck, you're libtard, you know, <laughs> which is, you know, you should die. I am so <laughs> sick of you. I mean, I get that on a daily basis now, less so since Trump left office and having covered that White House and this White House, the biggest difference is in the last two years, I've had a minimum amount of death threats. Most of them have come because of reporting about Donald Trump. Uh, and I haven't had anyone break in my, you know, bash in the rear window of my my car. And I've had far on a daily basis, far fewer threats to my life and, and liberty and pursuit of happiness. So I would love to see that kind of transparency, but I don't know that you'll ever get it. Well, first of all, my heart really goes out to you. I get hate stuff and tweets at me, but I've never had that degree, Brian. So, I mean, what happens? Do you then turn those people in? I mean, at least as as you can. Yeah, I've had, uh, you know, I've called the police, called the FBI, uh, you know, and involved people when there are real legitimate threats. I was told one time one guy got arrested saying he was coming up here to kill me, but, you know, who knows? Um, usually you just, you're a little smarter. You follow your, you know, you look behind you when you're driving home, you know, it's, yeah, but I don't ever th- feel threatened. I'll be honest with you. I've never once felt threatened, even when Trump was in the White House, inside the White House. I feel like that's one of the safest bubbles on the planet. I'm not really worried about somebody attacking me there. It's when I step outside of there that I would feel threatened. Well, in a way, he was the country's abusive parent. I think he was standing in for that. And on the other hand, there are those people, no matter what, that are never going to give up. And we can't, they're going to have to be lost. But- I don't really think about them. I'm only thinking about all the people that tell you all this stuff and then they go out on their, the Republicans, they say, well, I have to have a seat at the table to stop all of this stuff. Well, the truth is, I would say do the opposite. I would say get out of the way and let your party die. It needs to die. It's run its course. It may be that the Democratic Party will have to die shortly thereafter, but we do know that the Republican Party, as it is now, has to die. And I agree with that. I, I, I put it this way. We have two parties in this country. One has no heart, one has no head. And as far as I'm concerned, they both can go. (laughs) which one i'll let you decide that (laughs) i would say that my party has no head that the democrats and you're nodding in agreement that the democrats were well-intentioned even the republicans would say that but what happens is when we get in power uh then we start arguing about how small yes. of the butterfly is it that we're going to save in Prospect Park and so-and-so, and then we like having dinner, but we don't do anything. That's- when other people say, yes, we've burned down cities, well, so have Republicans. So that kind of is equal to me. That isn't the point. The point is Republicans have to go Yeah, because- they're corrupt and they know it 
and they say they can stop it by having a seat at the table, but they stop it by one degree, five degrees maximum. I've so, never known them to stop anything as long as it could get them votes and get them in power. That's yeah, now, is Washington, D.C. that cool of a place to live? Is Georgetown the best place? I mean, sure. The restaurants suck. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, I mean, it's not like New York, brother. You can't walk <laughs> down the street and find a good deli. That's yeah. So I don't really know what it is. I think those people are kind of useless, frankly. I and they sort of, well, they're very useless. And totally they useless. kind of know it. And, yeah. but now, so that's what I think. And, None of them will listen. Nobody is going to give up their sources. I'm shocked just now that you did it, and yet they'll still talk to you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, sure. Say more about that. Well, all I can tell you is we have to take a commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> and when we come back, I'll be happy to tell you more. Stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With me is, is our critic, Jerry Saltz, who is grilling me over my sources. Look, I, 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 Jerry, look, it's, I don't think there's any secret that you can talk to. It's, it's the specific conversations that they want to keep, uh, you know, on background or off the record. But the fact of the matter is most, and for example, Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell was no fan of Donald Trump's hell. He, you know, he, he has come out and blasted, you know, the Donald on a couple of occasions, but it doesn't matter if they blast them. It doesn't matter if they don't like him. It doesn't matter if they think that he is a, a danger to the Republic. All of them will tell you that but they all fall in line with him because he's their key to continuing their power and their source of money. And as you know, there was a uh, Democrat, Eric Swalwell told me, he goes, Brian, if, you know, it, it really pains me to see some of these people, they couldn't get jobs anywhere else. You know, I, true. If, I, if I, if I didn't get a job here, I'd be able to get employment somewhere else. And the other part that you see that is most, and this is why I try to get people into the white house briefing room, to see for themselves some of the things that I see there on a daily basis. People act differently on camera than they do off camera, including mm -hmm. the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Lauren Boberts. When that camera isn't on, they're for, far more obsequious, far more uh, uh, willing to compromise. But when that camera's on them, they demand the limelight because they are playing to people that will give them money. And until you take money out of politics, I don't see how this improves. Well, I think that in, in that case, you're right. And we have no choice but to get rid of them all. Now, we probably cannot do out. that. Yeah, <laughs> but we probably can't do that. So back to the change in the art world that now goes back to this world. 
it may be the end. Now, I don't think it is, but D.H. Lawrence wrote about Melville. He wrote, doom, doom, doom. Something seems to whisper it in the very dark trees of America. Doom of the white race, doom. So this is the white race fearing its end. Now, that's large, abstract. It makes no sense. And yet that is the nativism underneath all of this. Well, that's the narrative. Yeah, that's the narrative and the nativism. Had the Tea Party in 2010 been all black people, what would we have thought? We would have stopped them in their tracks. But because it was all white, the giveaway is in the statistics. This Republican Party in its current form is 93% all white. Yeah. Enough said. That is a problem. But nobody will say it. The fact that there's regular news and there's regular newscasters, it's just a joke that they should never talk about the Republicans in any way other than to say this organization that is 93% all white thinks that. They should never say the Republican Party. The Republican Party is gone. It was all a lie. It's been a lie for people like you, perhaps, or certainly me, at least since roughly George Bush the first. Since go Bush back farther than that. Well, we could. But the point being, they have to go, or we may have to go. It's very unclear to me what will happen, but we'll see. I wish that the, my team, the Democrats, had somebody to run that was younger than 80 that's or however old that guy is. 80. And that's a problem. And I think that none of us have the nerve to say what's obvious. Kamala Harris is an incredibly poor politician. She should be the attorney general out of uh, California, or if she wants to raise, let her have like the second one in, in America. But she is not a politician, and this is a problem, but our side cannot address it because we too are too afraid. What are you, and what are you afraid of? Our side is afraid that if he got rid of her and put in somebody else, that he would be attacked and this. Yeah, he would be attacked. But I'm telling you, the voters would come home. We all know it. He knows it. But nothing's going to happen. She's there with us and we're in trouble. Do you think that if Donald Trump were not in this race, that Biden would run? Uh, yeah. You do? But I, I think that he would be challenged in a much more dramatic fashion but now this freezes the field. I could be wrong. We're only hours into this, obviously. Right. But um, what do you think? I believe that, uh, and this is from, you know, I, I have a little closer vantage point, but I watched his trip to Ireland. Mm -hmm. I, I got, that was a trip of nostalgia, not one of politics. Mm -hmm. Usually one that someone takes on their second, this would be something you would take in your second administration, your second term. And I felt like he was um, taking this trip 
And that's where he made his decision to run. I don't think he ran. I don't think he wants to run. I don't think he would like to be in this race, but he has, he met with donors when he got back. I think everyone's telling him he's the only one that can beat Donald Trump. And as long as Donald Trump is in the race, so will Joe Biden be. Now I could be misreading it and I I'm happy to say that I can, and, and maybe wrong, but I don't think that his interaction with the press tells me he, you know, he interacts with us just as much as he wants to, which is very seldom. He yeah. does a lot of stuff on tape. He does a lot of quick questions in and out and he's gone. I, he's had some success in his first, uh, you know, four years in the first two and a half years, he's had some pretty good success, including an infrastructure bill that, you know, we got promised for every week for four years during Donald Trump and never got, he right. has had uh, those successes. And I think he would be happy to retire on those successes. As you said, he's 80 years old. The actuary tables are catching up rapidly with him and Donald Trump. And uh -huh. to be honest with you, I don't know if either one of them will be in the race in November of 2024. I think it. there are a number of factors up in the air, far more than at any other time in history, for us to say definitively that Joe Biden will be on the, uh, 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 on the roster or that Donald Trump will be on the roster. I think but that... that but that also leaves Kamala Harris, which is, for me, a problem. Of course, I would well, there's end there's no bench voting. strength with the Democrats at all. There's uh, what? There's no bench strength in the Democratic Party at all. There's no well, bench strength in the Republican Party. To your point, they're both dying. I, <laughs> I, well, that's true. But I actually think there is bench strength in the Democratic Party. Where do you um, see it? Hmm? Where do you see it being? I don't know. I'll give you a guy. I, you know, you saw uh, Jen Psaki trying to do a, a profile piece on Gavin Newsom to raise his, that was on MSNBC a couple of weeks ago, trying to raise his profile. I don't think it's Gavin. I don't think it's Kamala. I don't think it's Buttigieg. I don't think it's anybody that's in the government, right in the federal government right now. I think there's a guy that kind of reminds me of where, um, Jimmy Carter was in 1974 before the 1976 race. And that Can was I try to guess one name. Sure. Yeah. Mitch, Mitch Landrew. Uh, well, you know, there's an idea, but I'll give you another one. That's demographically very close to, um, to Carter. And he's a governor in a red state. And that would be Andy Bashir out of Kentucky. Hey, he lost friends in that, uh, shooting at uh, the, the bank in Louisville uh, a few weeks ago. He's also been very effective in a very red state. So I, I looked, and he's only 45. I looked at those guys as the the next leaders of the party. Yeah, and, and uh, Gretchen Whitmer. Listen, right. I think, I, I, I honestly think, and three other people put them up, but it's not going to happen. We're doing a pipe dream. We are going in on the last hurrah and yeah. it's if you sad want a pipe to dream, me I'll, I'll give you a pipe dream yeah I, i'll tell you a, a ticket right now that would walk in november next year and would get it would win in a landslide over any democrat or any republican and i don't like them or at least i don't like one of them very well but if you had liz cheney at the top of the ticket and adam kinsinger as her vp the Republicans would elect the first female president in the history of the country. And now she is too far right, but she 
she has earned a lot of stripes and a lot of respect on the Democratic side. She'd pull a lot of moderates and a lot of women if she were to run, but she could never get out of a Republican primary to do it. It's a good point. Uh, I would hate it. <laughs> and I would, I would <laughs> but but I, I don't disagree. But here we are talking about things that cannot be. Um, the good news is in the art world again, apartheid is ending. What I mean by that is 51% of the shows are no longer all women. 51% of the population is women. So we're going to see more and more and more of that. And politics is slow to it. And um, it's just gonna take some time, I'm afraid. So, yeah, well, hopefully we'll be around for it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. I'm not gonna be, I'm older than you, but you got a hell of a cough. Do you smoke? No, I, I have allergies and it's DC. And the uh, pollen has been coming down. And I feel like when I walk outside, my head just fills up with this <laughs> stuff. And uh, you, you take everything for it. And it'll be June before when it starts baking here in D.C. Yeah. Before it bakes it out of my head. So it's forgive true. the call. It, it's an annual thing. How you do? <clears throat> Excuse me. I got a cigar in 18. I was worried. I, yeah. I yeah. thought, oh, my God, I got to do an intervention with this guy. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I don't know that we have to all try to do something and um, that's it. I muted myself. So you didn't have to hear my call. Um, (laughs) Here's my question for you. As we, as we Mm -hmm. ponder this, do you think that art is reflective of politics? I think that right now that everybody that's working in art has a deep awareness of what's going on. It can take one of two forms. One is, you're making some activist work in some fashion or another, be it about climate, uh, race, uh, gender, whatever. Or on the other, you are doing it about peace, healing, uh, uh, just being quiet, being alone, something contemplative. But everybody that sees our work is going through the same PTSD. Every single person in this country knows what we've been through and that we're still in it and that this is the fight for our lives and our democracies in art art will go on it will go on in american politics i don't know i don't know if we're at the end of the american experiment as i knew it my family walked out of estonia Um, to Germany and then illegally to the United States to escape Stalin and Hitler. No one got out except my father and my mother. I was the first one born here. So that's my story. I have no children. My brothers do, so we're safe. Uh, But (laughs) that's the story. I don't know. We just don't know at this point. Do you have faith? Do you or are you concerned? Do you have hope? I I have hope all the time. I'm concerned all the time. That's the beautiful state of paradox. Faith is having doubt. Doubt is saying the things I'm saying, and yet having the faith to believe that hey, you could wake up one morning and 
Tucker Carlson is gone? <laughs> what the fuck? You know? Let's talk Isn't about that. that kind of, <laughs> sorry. Isn't that kind of great? And it's fine that Don Lemon is gone too. Yeah. And isn't it kind of great that Ron DeSantos or whatever his name really we're going to call him it looked like a bobblehead. I Isn't saw that, that video. kind of great, you know? And so we'll see. It's the I one time when know. I actually agreed with Jason Miller and some of the people in the, uh, in the uh, circle of Trump when they were giving, you know, DeSantis grief, you know, you know, they called him a bobblehead and I'm going, well, that actually is kind of funny, but <laughs> that goes back to a press conference. I was with, uh, I was in with, uh, with the president when Biden said he kind of looked forward to watching Trump beat up on DeSantis for a while. <laughs> It'll be great. I mean, on the other hand, it is what it is. There's nothing we can do. Well, here, here. All right. So a couple of straight art questions I have to ask. These are, these are things I ask everybody on the show. So you're, you're no different than that. Uh, favorite Beatle. Oh, uh, John. Favorite Beatle I, song. Uh, I have to say, John for Across the Universe. Great song. It's a beautiful song. John, all the early Beatles. When Paul looked at John and John looked at Paul the way two lovers should look at each other and they saw just permission. And I really believe in that kind of permission that they gave each other. To be to be the best of themselves. Yeah. And the yeah. worst. And the and worst. That, yeah, that that was okay too, and it made for great music. Yeah, there was a an interview once with uh, and you. Who was uh, yours? John, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, uh, I always ask people: Stone Beatles or Stones? Uh, Beatles. Yeah, yeah. I'm always. sorry. I I I wanted to say Stones because they're longer lasting. They have more changes. They're so different. Obviously, the Beatles are a singing group. And the Stones are a rock and roll group. Maybe I would say Nirvana. Yeah, I would I, say Nirvana. Nirvana. <laughs> Honestly, but, but, and but. and Metallica. If I had to go for groups, I'd say um, uh, Nirvana and Metallica. You? What about Led Zeppelin? Uh, after Led Zeppelin, three or four. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. We don't. Come on. Yeah, that's you, that's that's true. But. Yeah, um, and, and, yeah, then they went 30 years of blah, blah. Yeah, well, and after Bonzo Bonham died, they were, were never the same. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they broke up the band. But uh, as, a, as a musician, I'll tell you, I'll play the Stones before I'll play the Beatles in a gig because mm -hmm. they're easier to play. Hmm. And you can give your own interpretation of a Stones song. Like we can do, uh, you name a Stones song that, that we do, uh, you know, anything from dead flowers to whatever. And if I put my signature on it, then it's okay with the audience. But if you do the Beatles and you don't yeah. do the Beatles right, you're going to piss some people off. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you, what do you play? That's fantastic that you're a musician. I, I I'm the lead singer in a, in just a pub band. And so we, wow. have, we have, you know, we've been together for a while and it's fun just to blow out the steam and it, makes life worth living and actually i should have said dylan take them all oh. out put in all dylan post um uh including uh, um nashville skyline all the way out except for the christmas album and i'm good 
And I'm Bob great. Dylan. Bob, Bob Dylan sounds a lot like Tom Petty. <laughs> we shouldn't be. We, this is too geezery. We shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> That's all right. They should appreciate it. You can look it up. If you don't know what we're talking about, hey, look it up. Look, we got to take another short break. And when we come back, we'll continue the discussion. Uh, Jerry, I love it. Stick around, babe. We'll be right back. Thank you. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at Substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we're back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. With me, uh, uh, Jerry, I want to talk a little bit, Jerry Saltz, I want to talk a little bit about the, the Pulitzer Prize. What did you get that for in 2018, right? 2018? Right. 20, uh, 2018, I was sitting at my desk with my wife and I, who is, she's a much better critic than I am. Her name is Roberta Smith. She's the co-chief art critic for the New York Times. We were working in the house that we rent year round in uh, Connecticut. It's straight north about two hours. And I suddenly saw some emails on coming through about three o'clock and they were saying Pulitzer Pulitzer and one was from my editor and I said back to him David his name is David Wallace Wells I said it's so great that you got this it's fantastic congratulations and uh, I kept getting them and I kept saying isn't it great yay and then about five minutes later my wife looked at me she put on the phone had rung and said the times is on the phone they want to speak to you you won the pulitzer and i just went into shock i said put down the phone we hugged talked and then i'm going to tell you two things i talked to the times i'm but then two things we both sat down and worked and then that night we both said, wow, so is there money involved in this? <laughs> I thought there was $100,000, but there wasn't. I think it was fifteen. Right. I got no bump on my, uh, no raise on my salary, no bonus. The thing I thought, and I've checked this with Pulitzer winners, um, Emmy winners, Oscar winners. Everybody thinks the same thing. I can't be fired for 18 more months. So that's really what I thought. And unfortunately, the 18 months is gone. So I'm in trouble. If any, I'm an excellent driver. If anybody needs anybody, I used to be a, a truck driver in the Midwest and in New York. Please hire me. Yeah. So what was the what was the piece you got nominated and won for? Um, that was for my life as a failed artist, a long article about how I began my life as an artist. Demons started speaking to me, Brian. Um, the same demons that speak to everybody. You're no good. You don't really have an education. You don't know what you're doing. Your neck is bad. You Nothing is right. 
And so I listened. I self-exiled and I wrote about that and became a long distance truck driver. Um, I used to have a CB and I'd kind of get on and go, hello, partner, and talk to people. My name was the Jewish cowboy, but they never talked to me. They always spotted me. (laughs) (laughs) And and then finally, one day, (laughs) I one day I um, just said anything. And I was 40, 40. I'd let a decade go in the trucks alone, filled with hatred, sadness, envy. Envy is something that I want all of your viewers to put aside tonight. Envy is a knife you hold to your own throat. Envy will take you down. Put all of that aside. And I decided, hmm, maybe I could meet women and make money and have a career if I became an art critic. Then I learned to become an art critic by writing how all the art magazines were then written, which was the late commodified object of late capitalism, knows the dialectic, blah, blah, blah. Until finally, I started writing like myself because deadlines are sent from heaven via hell. And I've never looked back. So from about the age of 45, to now I'm almost 75, I'm in a race against time. Every single thing I do, I do all out, full out. Please, anybody, follow me on my Instagram, uh, where I have a million followers across platforms, Jerry Saltz. I'll talk to you, I swear, um, where I post my work, political things. And where did you hear about me, by the way, Brian? I first ran across you on Twitter, I believe it was. Oh, yeah. I, I just My- dug some of the stuff you put out there and it was like, all right, this is a guy who A, gets it, and B, is like a guy I could talk to. Yeah. Uh, there, I don't know about you, but I find in my world, there is a lot of pretense. <laughs> <laughs> well, is there? Yeah. Because I only know, like I know Olivia Nuzzi from New York Magazine. Oh, yeah. She's kind of amazing. And Molly Young fast. I know Tim Miller and those guys, but, um, but the rest to me, not including you at all are vaguely uh, photogenic, telegenic. Yes. I'm not uh, vaguely photogenic at all. No, no, neither (laughs) of us are. We look like Sharpays. Yeah. I'm telling you, (laughs) you know, it's just skin on the face. The point being, I'm not even interested in them. Why they're on TV, I don't even know anymore. They should get off. Well, as I say in my book, one of the biggest problems we have in my business, six companies own and operate 90% of what you see, read, or hear. So they are, used to be, when I walked first into that White House briefing room in 1985, the first two people I met were Helen Thomas and Sam Donaldson. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reason why I call this podcast Just Ask the Question is because of advice that Helen gave me. She said, Brian, don't give a shit about what anybody else thinks of you. Don't care about don't care about whether or not they answer your question. Just ask the question. That way they cannot deny that the question's been put in front of them and it's on the public record. So Mm. ask the question. And so Mm. she taught me to that was and it was those people back then who had knowledge but also wanted to impart knowledge upon younger people and knew what they were talking about that 
that and they were real people today mm -hmm. you get a lot of kids that are hired straight out of college to go to the white house when i first walked into that white house the first row of the brady briefing room sam said brian listen and learn from everybody in that first row because there's probably 200 years of experience there and mm. he said uh helen's probably got 190 of it <laughs> and, and helen said something to smart to sam and sam said hey helen you know, it's all right to have an unexpressed thought. And Helen said, Sam, when it comes to you, I have a lot of unexpressed thoughts. And I said, I don't know what the hell I'm doing for the rest of my life, but this is cool. I'm here. I love it. And, but today there's not, there's far less experience and um, it, it's inexperience combined with insecurity, combined with arrogance that creates a problem in the White House press corps today. And, uh, and, and say a little bit more about that to me. I'm curious. And, what do what, you mean? Um, I think that we lack the ability for deep thought, not because mm -hmm. we're stupid, but because we don't have the experience needed in that briefing room. We've mm -hmm. all asked, we've all asked questions we, you know, probably would want to take back, sure. but being able to grasp a situation, grasp the knowledge of the, of the issues at hand and being able to push back instead of sitting in that room and being a, a stenographer is something that comes from experience as well as desire and determination. It's how to know how to push back. It's what you went through to become an art critic. You need to go through to become a decent reporter. You need to have uh, the failures. You need to have the successes. You need to have a wide range of experience before you walk into that White House. That is the apex. That is the the top of the game for reporters. You really need experience covering city council, covering a PTA, covering high school sports, covering all of that before you walk into the White House, into that protective bubble. You need to have an ex life experiences behind you. My and my humble opinion. It's incredibly interesting. I have a just a, a, a gossipy question. Sure. Does everyone in the room know that that guy on Fox and Friends, what's his name? The tall one? Peter uh, Ducey. Yeah. Do they know Ducey is a jerk? No. And does Peter they, is not a jerk. Like, he's I'll, not? I'll tell you. I look what I I'm said, listening. I'm yeah, all ears. <laughs> what I said earlier is true. There's a tell if you ask, uh, for example, Mike McCurry, who was the first guy to put the briefings on air, he will say that's the biggest mistake he ever made. He shouldn't have put them on live. He should have put them on delayed. And I had him on mm -hmm. this show a few weeks ago talking about this issue. What you create when you put make it live is you create a live television show where people are playing roles instead mm. of being themselves. And I think Peter has to play a role as the Fox reporter. Part of it is being the anti-administration as, you know, as Jim was at Acosta it, it, with the, uh, the previous administration, as I am with every administration. Mm -hmm. I don't like any of them. So mm -hmm. I, I give grief to everyone uh, or try to, or at least good, you know, good, well-intended grief at questioning what they do. Uh, so that's what he's trying to do. I think, you know, you can like or not like his questions. Certainly some of them I wouldn't ask and some of them I would ask elsewhere. Mm. But mm. as far as after the cameras are turned off, everybody's pretty cordial in that it, with one another in that uh, briefing room. Uh, That's interesting to me. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's 
unfortunately, what has happened in my line of work is that there, um, it, it has not, because of the consolidation of media, there are fewer and fewer reporters with a lot of experience. And so, whereas when I first got into the business, you had to have five years of experience before you went anywhere. Now, after five years of experience, they get you out of there because mm -hmm. you cost too much money. There was a massive turnover between the Trump administration and this administration. Oh, really? Reporters. Yeah. There's, there's only about five or six of us left there that were there during the Trump administration. Oh, please never leave. Why don't you just be one of the guys that goes all the way? Can you be that for us? <laughs> well, we need I'll, this. Until they drag my ass out of there, I'll be there in some form or fashion. And what are your credentials with now? Salon. I wow. uh, was Salon and Washington Diplomat. If you know anybody who's looking, yeah, that's... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's... Um, I do enjoy the give and take in that room. I, from your end, when you look at it, what do you see that you like and that you don't like? Um, ah, it's a really good question. I actually um, don't like it, um, but I don't have a real reason why. I feel like all of it's kind of performed, it and I, I'm I can't put my finger on it, but. You ask me a good question there. I I guess every once in a while I try. <laughs> you no, know, but not all of these are great questions. But I guess I would. I guess I have to grow up and just start to listen closer. That's yeah. There. You, all right. So here's here's a, another couple of questions for you. Art related. Okay. All right. So uh, classics, and I don't mean classic rock and roll. I mean classics. You know, Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms. Who's your favorite? Um, my favorite paintings I've ever seen are probably cave paintings. They're in the south, the very south of France, not the bigger ones, uh, but the, uh, in a small cave. And um, it okay, just I was blew asking my music, but that's a great answer to the. <laughs> to the <laughs> do you like cave paintings over a Monet? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Why? Um, I think that mammals have never been rendered better in our by our species if you think about it in all of time that they understood they knew perspective the bigger animals were closer to you the further ones were further away they could paint them drinking water they would paint you would know which animal was in rut and which was in estrus. You would know who's hunting and who's the prey. You would know what month it was by the kind of a moss an animal had on its antlers. These wow. were people that looked at animals for 500,000 years. And we only have a tiniest sliver of a tiny sliver of the tiniest sliver of all cave paintings because they have to exist at exactly the same temperature and humidity for all time. One day and it's gone. And so the minute they open a cave, it's beginning to die. So it's a very complex thing. We estimate that probably there's only 1% of 1% of 1% of 1% of 1% of all cave paintings in, that were ever made intact still. Wow. And musically, classic. Oh, 
music. <laughs> well, I do think that one of the th you have you cannot understand Mozart, as in great art, you don't ask what Mozart means. Mozart is like the Holocaust that you owe it to it to understand that it's so complex and so layered that you'll never understand it. You have to ask instead, what does art, art is not a thing. Art is a verb. Art is something that <clears throat> does something to you or does something. Um, and what does it make you feel? What does it make you think? What does it make you want to do? And that's Mozart for me. And then I guess for me, Beethoven. And you, what are your Oh, I love the Moonlight classes? Sonata and I do love Mozart. I, yeah. I never thought of cave paintings as, as something, but it, now you now I've got a new appreciation for cave paintings. Uh, <laughs> Good. Good. But, um, I, 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 do you consider NFTs art? NFTs right now, there'll be a, a, a great artist, there'll be a Monet of NFTs. Uh, but right now, it's a tool. It's a tool like a camera, a pencil, a telephone, an eraser, uh, an airplane. It's what will you do with the tool? And right now, the art world is all in a titter because it's all about the money and this right now. NFTs are a great way for a lot of artists to make a teeny bit amount of money, like about $10,000 you could make. Right. The problem is, like all things, 99.9% .9 of the coverage goes to the 0.1% that's making any real money. So it's all on people who I've met, nice guy, uh, not a great artist, but that's what it is. AI is a bigger tool and it will do more. AI How is so? the tool. It's just going to just change everything. I, I, I don't know how and I don't know when, but I do know it's coming. So let's project out a hundred years from now. What do you, where do you see art then? Well, in some ways, Brian, I see it not that different than it was a hundred years ago. It could be a small painting of a chair or a sunflower. On the one hand, it could be a three-dimensional screen that you just kind of go into and turns into a tesseract or a five-dimensional cube where you start traveling through time. We wow. don't know yet what it is, but it'll be doing the same things to us. I, I, I often find that, you know, it's, a, I, I, we started out the conversation with, um, I don't know what art is, but I know what I like. And then you, some guy will show you a picture of the dogs playing poker and go, Hey, mm -hmm. that's art. Um, but do you ever, do you find comfort in the fact that art can mean so much, something different to each human being, or do you find comfort in, finding commonalities in art or both. I, I think it's both. But what you just said is very important that art is so great that Hamlet can mean something different every single time you see it, that every time you see Hamlet, you get something new out of it. And every time you see it, you look at it and go, how did I miss that before? Other times you forget the thing. 
that's what great art is. It changes without changing at all. It's the changing same. It's the same difference. So well, that's, that, that's so true. When I read Catcher in the Rye or I read mm. Kill a Mockingbird and I've read them over the years and then I find things that I haven't seen in either one of them or it reminds me of a time or I look at it through different eyes. That's me changing. The words that's, on the page have not changed. That's, that's beautiful. I mean, that's really beautiful, man. That's, I mean, time wasn't created a long time ago. Time is created anew every single day. We're not the same person today. You are not the same writer that you were yesterday as you are today. And the, <laughs> and the process of tracking that and following that is just a beautiful thing. And all I really ask is to have a life lived in art, a life lived in art, uh, which means, yeah, it would be great to have a 30 month kind of sexy. Everybody's talking about me. I'm making money. I want all artists to make money, by the way, the good, the bad and the very bad. In a way, what I want for anybody listening to this is a 40-year career of just working every day until, in fact, the day you die, which is but, what I'll be doing right here at my desk. I see 25 or 30 shows a week out there in, in, in New York, and then I come home. I want to quit because I can't do it, and then I somehow... Uh, get down and write something that might be of some use to somebody. And I think it's fucking great. <laughs> I think it's bulletproof until I read it and it's been published and I see the mistakes. And then I go, then, shit, I wish I had done that better. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you there. We're, yeah. we're going to take one short break and then we'll be back for some final thoughts. Stick around. Coming back in three, two, one. Hi, we're back. It's just asked the question. I'm your host, Brian Karam. With me, art critic Jerry Saltz, who is now uh, has, I guess you metamorphosized into or, or morphed into a philosopher, but I really <laughs> like what you're saying. I think what you're saying. Uh, with all that we've said, how do you deal with people who want to ban books? I mean, yeah. we are at a point in our history. I thought, Jerry, I'm going to be honest with you. One of my earliest memories of life was I, I remember the day John Kennedy was shot. I remember my How mother crying. How old are you? Hmm? I, I was uh, I was just under three when that happened. Okay. And I remember, and here's why I remember it. I remember Jackie walking off the plane. I remember she had the stains on her shirt, the blood stain. And I thought it was, we had a black and white TV. I thought it was chocolate sauce. Mm. And I saw my mom crying and I said, that woman's crying because she spilled chocolate on her dress. I should never, that'll make my mom cry. Mm -hmm. I, I remember that. I, I remember all that we went through. I remember the 68 Tet Offensive. I remember when Mark, my, my grandparents marching with Martin Luther King. I wow. remember the, when, he, when he was shot and when Bobby got killed. And uh, I remember all of that and thinking, my God, we went through all of that and still here we are. But I look at it today and I go, it doesn't seem that we're as advanced as we were in 68 or 69. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. This week's column I wrote for Salon, we were talking about how we're going through shit in this country. And I said, you know, part of the problem is the media. Here's an independent uh, magazine in 1969 that had an interview with uh, 
with a philosopher about new media, Marshall McLuhan, and then at, at the same time, had an interview with a U.S. senator about gun control. And that mm -hmm. was in 69. And he had a 3,000 or 4,000 word essay, the Playboy interview with McLuhan. It was Playboy magazine, independent. Today, we don't take half the time anywhere to discuss issues of that import. And it feels to me, it, it, you want to ban books. You're, you're, you yeah. took away a woman's right to choose. It's you, you're, it's racism. It's the misogyny. And I feel like we're going backwards. Do you? Um, ever... <laughs> I, I think that you're right. I think that the inconceivable has happened in that you're taking, you have a party taking away women's rights. That alone should be all that the Democrats talk about. But we don't for whatever reason well because the democratic party will snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory every time but that's what we do it's what we do uh because we i don't know why nobody knows why it's because we like to have supper and go out but the truth is those are people on the other side that believe in certitude in certainty black white right wrong good bad and you and i are stuck with a much more nuanced belief about life and if we can't stop that certitude with our doubt and our faith then their certitude will win oh, it's God. that simple See, but i i don't believe that they can win but we'll see i i certainly you know and i blame you know, my background, my my mother, uh, her family were uh, Russian Jews who came from, uh, who fled and became Catholics. Uh, my, mm. my great grandfather could not watch Dr. Zhivago because he said he reminded him too much of his, his life when he was younger. Wow. Uh, my father's family, Lebanese Catholics. I'm only the second generation born in this country, raised Catholic. So all that is disclosure. I find the it is those six Supreme Court justices that strike fear into me most. They are conservative Catholics from the Opus Dei sect of Catholicism who believe that if I do not allow you the right to proselytize and convert me to your faith, that I am somehow suppressing your rights of, or your freedoms. Yeah. And those people are the ones that frighten me or I don't want to say frightened. I'm not frightened. I'm pissed. I, I'm, I'm concerned about them. So that's where I find the nexus of all this is at, is at that. And I wonder, you know, it, the ability to appreciate art and the ability to read whatever you want, the ability to be involved in, in life as you see fit, not as others see fit for you. I find that a driving force, not only in politics, but in art. What is art if I have to submit myself to your idea of art well of course i completely agree with you um i think that they have a certitude again and yeah. that that religion from that place or politics which then becomes religion allows good people to do bad things and you strap it on like a, a bomb vest and you walk in. Well, I would I say you strap it on like a strap on, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you walk in 
and you just detonate. And that's pretty much what's going on. Um, and that's what's going on. I don't have an answer other than we just have to keep going on against it and keep raging against their certitude, their stupidity, I'm afraid. Um, I'm sorry. That's what it is. They yeah. may say I'm stupid, but I'm sorry. They're being stupid. 30% of the population is having a minority rule here. And yeah. that is un-American. It'd be great in another society, but it doesn't work here. So that's that's my two cents. Any final thoughts? No, I just really love talking to you. I'm having a great time. <laughs> Me too, man. I you gotta come back. It, we we've burned through an hour and I, I feel like I could talk another hour with you easily. I, uh, the same, Brian, and I really, I just, um, I just wish everybody great. Good luck. Look at a lot of art. Don't be afraid, you big babies. Get to work. Put your butt in a chair. Put your chair in front of a desk and get to work. I promise you. And if you do this, and if you then make an enemy of envy and finish the damn thing, then maybe go out. Go out a little, go out to the openings, go out to restaurants, go out to bars, to whatever musical events, go out, share your life blood with other bloods, then come home like we do, Brian and I, Brian and I, and make your bad work. And I promise you, you will have a good life. You'll have a great life. It'll be amazing. So that's it. Thank you, Jerry. You will come back, won't you? Oh, I'd love to. Thank you, brother. The show All is right. Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. Jerry, where can we catch you? Jerry Saltz at uh, Instagram. Come and get me. <laughs> there you go. Have fun. We'll catch you all next time.